Hey guys, how's it going? Listen, I was sitting here at my desk thinking about that uh, recording a podcast for you regarding this Supreme Court decision in Louisiana, right? And I was thinking that um, what I'd rather do than just basically record a podcast for you that I'd probably just turn on my camera and let you uh, kind of listen as I record it. Let me know in chat, right? Let me know in chat uh, because I'm using two different systems to, to come to you live. Will you put in chat that you're able to see me and hear me? Will you just kind of either give me a thumbs up or write in chat that you can see me, that you can hear me? Uh, etc. I would uh, greatly appreciate that. Uh, chat will let me know that this link that I'm doing to get you this particular video screen, right, uh, would uh, is working properly because I don't, I don't, I don't really use it a lot. So thank you for confirming. Uh, just, you know, going about my day, etc., getting things done. And so what I want to talk about is I want to talk about this election redo that's possibly or is, in fact, going to go on in Louisiana. I'm going to read to you the court document. I just decided to turn on my camera. I'm going to read to you the court document. First, let me kind of give you the story over again, there was a, in Caddo, Caddo Parish, Louisiana, in the sheriff's race, which was a difference of only one vote, there were many questions about it. But there were some irregularities. And so a fellow by the name of Henry Whitehorn, he was the Democrat who won the sheriff runoff and won it by eventually uh, one vote, right? If you have to reset, uh, refresh if you need to, uh, hang on, you might have to hit refresh. Anyway, this Democrat fellow won in a runoff by one vote, but the courts decided because it was challenged that that one vote was challengeable is because there was a discrepancy and it particularly uh, referred to um, these absentee ballots. By the way, if for some reason you're not uh, hearing anything, uh, sign out. There's issues, okay? Just sign out and come back in. Anyway, what was at issue was these absentee ballots, you'll like this, that lacked signatures or they lacked witnesses. And by this way, as you know, when there's no signature, you're not supposed to count them. They're not considered a valid vote. If there's no witness on it, this state requiring not only a signature of the person, but a signature of the witness witnessing it, 
Again, it's not supposed to be counted. Now, you think how ironic and Carrie Lake's standpoint that the court just chose to ignore these things or just keep on lying that they did it. Well, here's what's very good about this case. And what's very good about this case is it had to go all the way up to the Louisiana Supreme Court. Now, this is what's important. Okay, so uh, some of you, it's it's saying you're having a hard time getting me. Um, let's see, let me look at something real quick. I can see myself on my screen. Uh, I won't get, some of you are getting you. Um, close out, if you're having issues, close out your whole browser. Don't just hit refresh. Close your browser and everything. Log back in and that should fix it for you that should fix it for you okay others can see fine hear fine etc so it's 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 something with your own individual device but here's what's important in this case what you have to understand about anything and you should be by the way seeing a picture of me you should be seeing my ugly mug and you should be hearing me when one supreme court makes a decision on a case it allows that to also set precedent in other states. That's what's very, very key. So even though this is Caddo Parish, the Supreme Court of Louisiana, what's very important about this is now that a decision was made at the Supreme Court level, this will hold the weight of court law citation, okay? It will hold the citation of court and enforcement in all other states. That's what's very, very important here. Remember that when it comes to case law, when it comes to saying, Judge, here is the history of deciding these points, you have to understand what's going on is now that this has come down in Louisiana, this is critical, absolutely critical in the fight that we're fighting to get our elections corrected in the United States, because this is the next best thing to your own state deciding this. And so I'm going to take you through this. And yes, even if the states are corrupted, you got to understand how monumental this is. It got on the books. It got challenged. It got heard. It got decided by the state Supreme Court. The Democrat who wanted to say that's not fair and appeal it, the court shot down the appeal and said, look, no, there is no appeal on this because it's just simple rule of law. And that's what's key, because this is about maladministration and non-compliance long before it's anything else. So let me kind of read you. It's just a four-page document. Let me narrate for you why this is precedent-setting and what they did. And so this is labeled Supreme Court of Louisiana, and it's John Nicholson versus Henry Whitehorn and R. Kyle Audrin, 
uh, Ardoin in his official capacity as Louisiana Secretary of State. It says this was on writ of salutary to the Court of Appeal, Second Circuit, Parish of Cairo, and it's basically assigned to J. Uh, Crichton concurs the signs and reasons. Here's it goes. The results of the November 18th, 2023 election for Caddo Parish Sheriff showed the candidates were separated by the slimmest possible margin, one single vote. In a race as close as this, an irregularity affecting even a single vote cannot be disregarded. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, the courts are going to fight about this in the future. They're going to try to limit this. Well, that was a case where it was only one vote difference. And looking over the case, it's it's worded very well that that's going to be able to be challenged. And though they're saying, look, every single vote as cast must count, whether it's one single vote or whatever. And that's what this is about. What is a legal vote or not? What is a valid vote or not? But the left is going to try to say that this only applies when it comes to a race decided by one vote, which is exceedingly rare. Let me go on. In a race as close as this, an irregularity affecting even a single vote cannot be disregarded. The trial record in this case proves at least one illegality that renders the results of the election impossible to determine. This is key. Remember the challenge question here. Remember words are everything. As I, as I look at this, what I realize they did very smartly is they're contesting it on compliance procedures and, of course, the rule of law. But what they're saying is, it just makes the election impossible to determine. I'm telling you that I believe that one statement, based on it's impossible to determine, it's impossible to make an accurate certification, I think this is going to become paramount. And this is completely different than the wording we've heard heretofore of all these other cases and what they're making, where they keep on screaming fraud or theft or stop the steal or whatever the case may be. The issue here is I think there's going to be a pathway for brand new words that it just makes it impossible to determine who the real winner is, or it just makes it impossible to certify because you can't tell what's what. And we got to go back and see what's what. That's why I think this is important. So let's continue. The trial record in this case proves at least one illegality that renders the results of the election impossible to determine. Thus, I join the four other justices in denying the writ application in this manner, because that means, you know, trying to challenge this, denying the writ application in this manner, because in my view, the courts below reached the correct result in declaring the election void and 
ordering a new election. Now, again, words matter. In the 2020 elections with Donald J. Trump, everybody's saying decertify, overturn, decertify, overturn. One of the challenges constitutionally that we faced with that is there's never been an overturning. And there's never been a way to decertify. And as I tell you, words matter. What did these judges agree on? Because they all, the four justices agreed. What did they agree on? This is why words matter. They agree they just needed to void the election and let it be redone. Again, there's so much we can learn from this case if we pay attention to the words. What was able to bring the Supreme Court justices there in the state into agreement was they were not deciding whether somebody stole an election or where, whether somebody did a uh, criminal act, which you're going to find there are criminal acts here, but they did not deal with it that way. They just says we can't determine the real outcome and let's just call it void and let's just redo it because it's about the citizens, so just redo it. The citizens will gladly redo it. And so what they did is they ordered a brand new election according to the laws they have in their state, right? They have a footnote here saying, reviewing courts are limited to the trial record and may not set aside a trial court or jury's findings of fact in the absence of manifest error or unless it is clearly wrong, right? This is non-compliance, meaning you can't set aside what's going on without one, without evidence, when they say there is no evidence here, unless you can show it's something that's clearly wrong. And when you can't certify the election, and you can't make the determination, what is it? Something has gone wrong with the process. Something just, and that's all they're saying. Something has gone wrong with the process. We can't really point it out, so let's just redo it. He goes on to say, I write separately to express my grave concerns about the integrity of the election process, which was laid bare in the trial contesting these results. Now, that's important too. Why is that important? He's not basing the rules on crimes. He's not saying there's fraud. He's not saying these guys are criminal. That's where the, the Hiroshima bomb is. He stayed away from it and they just ruled on compliance. But it also allows these state Supreme Court justices to get on the record and say, I am expressing my grave concerns about the integrity of the election process, which was revealed to me as we did this. That's key. See, the judges can acknowledge that they believe, hey, this lacks integrity. But we found that when they're when they're trying to quote unquote decertify or overturn elections, that's the hotbed. So what I think happened here successfully is don't question the integrity. 
right? Because these politicians always skate by by saying it's a boo-boo or they didn't do it on purpose, right? They basically said, yeah, you got problems, but they never question it from a corruption standpoint. And see, this is the deal. You can find corruption after the fact. I believe that's paramount. Fight the issues with elections on compliance and procedures. I've been saying this for forever. Fight it on compliance and procedures. If during that time you find crimes, yes, you can point them out. But instead of walking into the room and calling everybody criminals or Russian agents, set all that crap aside, disarm it, and just look at the procedures. Look at the laws on the books and where the procedures filed. Continuing on, it says, elections officials' testimony at trial revealed a substantial gap in compliance with statutory election code procedures. Bingo. That is all this is about. Again, these words matter. Did they say these guys were idiots and assholes and criminals and didn't follow the law? No, no, no. Compliance. 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 I've had a lot of discussions with Louisiana over these last two years. It's a compliance issue. And even in this ruling, what the words they use, Election officials' testimony at trial revealed a substantial gap. Polite wording, polite, polite wor- wording, but infers a big difference. A substantial gap in compliance with statutory election code procedures, saying this is on the books, this is the way you're supposed to do it. And there's a big difference between the way you're supposed to do it and the way you did it. Therefore, it's void. Let's just redo this, folks, and let's follow the rules. It goes on and says, the register of votes, of voters. Now, uh, in some of these states, you either have a county recorder that handles it, or you have a board of supervisors, or you have what they call the registrar of voters. In this case, it's a registrar of voters. It says the registrar of voters testified that absentee ballots lacking signatures either by either the voter or a witness as required by law slipped through the cracks but were nevertheless counted. See, the, the, the left, the bad guys are always going to claim a boo-boo. Always going to claim a boo-boo. Always. But when you go at compliance, completely at compliance, their boo-boo becomes an admission. See, when you say you guys are perpetrating a fraud, you guys are perpetrating a crime, they're always going to say, no, we're not. No, we didn't. It's always contested. When you just said, you're not following statutory compliance. Here it is. We just got a compliance issue. What they have to admit? He said, the, tes- the uh, register of votes says, testified that the absentee ballots lacking signatures by either a voter or a witness, as required by law, slipped through the cracks 
And when they said it was slipped through the cracks, they had to admit, and yes, it was counted. The moment they said slipped through the cracks, and yes, they were counted, boom. You get it? Noncompliance. Maladministration. It didn't take all the yelling and screaming matches. And it didn't bounce it up to the federal level. It just says you didn't do it to the statutory, meaning fixed, rules. It goes on to say signatures by the voter and witnesses can never be and are not mere ornaments. Now, what's the importance of that statement of this justice saying that? Okay. And some of y'all may need to update your software. If you haven't updated on your phone, you might want to see if there's an update for you on locals. If for any reason on this, just check and see if there's an update. But here's the deal. Again, this statement is paramount. Signatures by the voter and the witness can never be and are not mere ornaments. See, non-compliance, and Kitty, you're right, non-compliance doesn't mean fraud was committed, but fraud almost always involves non-compliance. That's the key. See, for them to say, uh, well, yeah, it's a law, uh, we just didn't do it, is for them to, for the court to say, so are they there just for an, an ornament? Are they there just for a decoration? No, they're there for a specific statutory process. And since this was always about compliance and statutory process, right? The court, and this is a key sentence, because remember, every one of these sentences are going to live on in law. And that's why I'm pointing these sentences out to you, because this is mission critical to getting this right. They have said, signatures by the voter and the witness can never be and are not mere ornaments. And what that means is, if you are neglecting them, if you are not checking them, if you are not verifying them, it is saying you are treating them like a mere ornament, and they are not an ornament. They are a statutory verification election law requirement. It goes on to say, by verifying the identity of the elector, that means the person voting, their purpose is to prevent abuses and assure accuracy in absentee voting. Now, I'm going to do this again. By verifying the identity of the elector, their purpose is to prevent abuses and assure accuracy in absentee voting. This is key, because here's what they're saying. They're saying if you can't confirm the signature, it's either abuse or it's at least inaccurate. If there is no signature and it goes through, it's abuse. At the worst case, it's inaccurate. And that's why this wording is so paramount for them to state by verifying the identity of the elector, their purpose is to prevent abuses and assure accuracy in absentee voting. That's why they can say, wait a minute. You didn't do anything to prevent the abuse. If you let it go through, these measures that are enacted in laws to prevent abuse, you ignored them. That's maladministration. 
You ignored all the very things that were put in to verify this is truthful and accurate, and you ran them all through, and that is abused. By the way, that's malfeasance. Get it? One is maladministration. The other is malfeasance. This document states so much. It goes on to say, and this is key, the signatures are sacramental to the reasonable objectives of the absentee voting law. Now, do you understand how powerful that statement is? Right? It basically means it is holy. It is a sacrament. It is literally holy. It is the holy standard by which happens. And these judges say the signatures are sacramental to the reasonable objectives of absentee voting. And what is the reasonable objectives? To basically allow somebody who might be displaced the option to vote because they can't be there, but to make sure, as they said before, that they've identified the elector and they have prevented abuse and guaranteed its accuracy. And so they're quoting another decision that came down in 1999 when they say that the signatures are sacramental to the reasonable objectives of the absentee voting laws. That now means with this on the books, and it's now citing two and three cases, this case with a redo and the citing previous law, this is the type of legal definitions, the legal guidance that this has been decided before, Judge, and you don't have to get creative on your decisions here because it's already been decided. And that is why this helps us tremendously. Let me keep on. Ballots failing to comply with the signature requirements should have been disqualified. Ballots failing to comply. Compliance, folks. Ballots failing to comply with the signature requirements should have been disqualified. Yet, the trial court found five that were not. Now, this is a smaller area, but it's not so much that the numbers matter. What matters here is the event occurred. Basically saying, the signature is a requirement. There was none present. There were ones that were totally not a match and bogus, yet you counted them. Therefore, Mr. Registrar of Voters, you did not comply with the laws that are already on the books. They go on to repeat, in an election separated by a single vote, this cannot be deemed harmless. Now, let's play this out for a moment. In Arizona, we're talking about thousands of votes. Maybe in Abe Hamada's case, 
we're talking about a few hundred. The opposing side, the opposing side is going to say, well, that's where it came down to just one vote, and that's why. No. See, they're establishing two things here. They're establishing, well, actually three things. They're establishing not only, yes, is it critically important when the election is decided by a singular vote, but they're also saying there are a thing called laws and rules, and they're not just ornaments, and you must follow them. Therefore, if in fact your job is to count every legal vote, then every act of maladministration, maladministration affects the ability to certify the election or even to know what completely happened. Here's the deal. Do you understand they're not saying, well, this candidate won and this candidate stole it? See, again, that's key. They're not pointing to any one candidate. They're basically saying, how can we even know? And that's what's key here for fighting these things. Look, the reality is we don't know. There are things that got added to the count with no regard to who they voted for because we have secret ballots in the U.S. And so since these occurred, at minimum, we do not know what the count is. And so the way I would use this in court, where they're saying, well, this is only in the 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 case of one vote difference, I would say the evidence shows that we don't really know what the difference is because so many were counted that didn't comply. Therefore, the reality is not them, not us, not this candidate, not, not that candidate knows anything. We actually cannot determine the outcome of the election yet. And that's why we've got to go through this. See how it works? That's what's very key. I'm going to keep on going. And the key, they said, look, this cannot be deemed harmless. They're establishing that even down to one vote, it is harmful. It goes on to say, as set forth in Louisiana law, candidates may challenge absentee ballots with these deficiencies before or on election day. Now, again, I want you to understand that's how broken the system is. I just want to ask you a question. How would the candidates know? How would the candidates know? Right? Go back to 2020. We had COVID mandates. You're supposed to file the lawsuits within five days or seven days or 10 days. You couldn't even get into the courts and the courts to even accept the suit for almost 90 days after the election. This is where we have to change some of these laws because these windows that they put on them are erroneous because it says candidates may challenge absentee ballots with these deficiencies before or on the election day. That means they would have to have this information. And the reality is they wouldn't have this information. 
going on, it says, however, the trial record indicates that such challenges were not contemplated by the officials overseeing this election. This is key. They're basically acknowledging, well, we weren't thinking about it. And in fact, nobody had the information. It's an omission on both sides. So how can it even be challenged when you actually don't have the information? And everybody had to agree. that Well, at that time, we didn't have the information. It goes on to say the register of voters testified he was not sure such a procedure was allowed. This basically means the register of voters, the person who was responsible for the elections, did not even understand the procedural rules of how to challenge an election, which rules applied, or even how the candidates would get the information in the first place. And therefore, when the register of voters cannot even back it up, you cannot expect their organization to back it up. This is the basis of maladministration. He goes on to say, and this is talking about the uh, register of voters, and what I'm reading to you is what the uh, Louisiana State Supreme Court wrote in their assessment. Ready for this? And this is this one is so critical. When I read when I read it to you, you'll understand why this is critical. The register of voters went on to say, and I'm paraphrasing, and now here I go. As far as he was aware, the only people who can see those ballots or deal with those ballots other than the voter himself are the people on his staff. Now, do you understand how monumental that is? See, it is placed upon the candidate to file the challenge. The candidate must be armed with the information according to their state laws either before the election or on the election day. And they now have this recorder going, well, they actually wouldn't have that information because outside the voter, the only person to see it is my staff. Now, that's, a, that's an incredible admission. Because now what you have is the collision of laws and the collision of procedures that the plaintiff, in this case, the person that would make the complaint, has no way to comply. And when there's no way to comply, right, you have no way to get remedy. You know something's potentially wrong, but you can't get remedy because they haven't given you the ability to remedy because you need the information. You're correct. No checks and balances. That's why this is important. They additionally got it on, right? If you take the, the now they got the register of voters on um, record here. They even talked to the president of the parish board of election supervisors, Here's what they said. Similarly, the president of the Parish Board of Election Supervisors testified that she did not think there was an opportunity for the public to view the absentee ballots before the election day. Accordingly, while plaintiff did not challenge these ballots before the election, 
based on the election officials' testimony, it was unlikely he would have been permitted to do so. That is such a monumental win because the court is acknowledging we have laws on the books that cannot offer remedy. We have procedures in the elections that supposedly these are safe and secure, and we give you remedies, but you can't even exercise the remedy as the candidate or much less the voter, because you don't even have access, only the people running the elections. This is going to be a tremendous amount of leverage when it comes to, you are asking us to make a determination on what happened, and you're telling us we don't have a case because we can't prove it, when in fact, we don't even have access to it, therefore we can't even challenge it, therefore the law is moot, we have to have access. This particular case got it on the books. That's why this case, when it comes to, and this is election law, is a very good teaching moment that needs to be studied. This is one of the things that has to be studied word by word because it sets so many precedents. I'll continue. Additionally, the trial court. Now, I want to state one thing. You do get the operative words here, trial court, trial court. See, that's been a big deal. They'll kick it out, say you have no standing. That's the, the, the complication between state and federal that I think our system fell to in 2020. But when you do these in state court, you get a chance to be heard and they have to hear it. And it is during... It is during this trial court that they actually were able to get the information on the record. It goes on to say, additionally, the trial court found four votes that um, were illegally cast by, and here's probably a new term you, you haven't heard, by interdicted citizens. Now, big legal term right? Interdicted citizens, big legal term, but here's what it means. You don't have the authority. It's prohibited or it's forbidden. That's what an interdiction is. And so they were able to show that these citizens, although they voted, were actually, according to the rules on the books, forbidden to do it. They go on to say, the election code provides that no person shall be permitted to register or vote who is interdicted after being judicially declared to be mentally incompetent as a result of a full interdiction proceeding. This is the whole can of worms of why they want to let criminals vote and why they just want to do it willy-nilly. This little bitty parish had four of them. This tiny parish had four, but it clearly states the law on the book says they were forbidden from doing it. Now, I think this interdiction issue could also be used that in the eyes of the law, you don't even live in this county, or in the eyes of the law, you don't even live in this state. You are an interdicted citizen. Why? Why? Because the law declares if you don't live there, you can't vote. 
And that's why I think this is going to open the door for very interesting stuff. It goes on to say it is the responsibility of the court, of the clerk of the court to record each judgment of interdiction and by the 10th day of each calendar month, transmit a certified copy of any judgment to the registrar voter of voters. The registrar then suspends the voter registration of the interdict. Again, why is this setting interesting precedent? Precedent. Look, when somebody dies, the county registrar should be talking, right? Should be talking to the supervisor of elections of say, remove this person. In Maricopa County, they're saying it's the family's job to do that. Again, you have really interesting precedent here. And they're saying, wait a minute, it is the responsibility. They're saying there is a fiduciary responsibility, although in this case, it's the, the clerk uh, of the court. I submit to you, the county register and the uh, coroner offices, who are in fact representatives of the court as well, have to notify all across the board where it affects, right? They have to notify it. And I think this may be uh, come into play because this is about timely reporting and transmitting of certified copies of stuff they know is already decided fait complete, right? And yes, in Arizona, they pull off a lie that, well, it's the family's responsibility. Most families, when you're dealing with a death, aren't thinking, oh, I got to go get them off the voter rolls. Now, they, they cite case law and on, on interdictions in Louisiana, right? And I'm taking some liberties with it, and I think much can be done with it. But what you're finding here is they say the judgments of interdiction involved here were made and uh, what we say made, I'm just going to say ratified in 2021, 2014, 2013, and 2012. However, the court of the Kurtz, uh, the clerk of the court's office did not transmit these judgments and the registrar voters testified that while in this position, he hasn't seen a single interdiction. Again, how could this set precedent or how this could be used? This is what I'm saying. A county, re a county coroner should be reporting to the county registrars. Get it? Death certificates. They should say this citizen died. Get them off the voting rolls. This case established a precedent that these offices should have been talking to each other, that it's not the responsibility of the citizenry because you, as a representative of the county or the state or whatever the case may be, you have procedures in place that always and already do it. That's the key. And so in this, you get this nice little nugget that they're saying, look, there's county procedures here. These county procedures should be talking. And oh, by the way, the county who has an obligation to report it and the registrar who has an obligation to deal with it, they just didn't do it. That's why this is key. They go on to say, under these circumstances, it is my view that plaintiff did not run afoul of his due diligence requirement to challenge the votes on or before election day. Nevertheless, even if one could reasonably 
conclude that plaintiff waived objection to all the aforementioned illegal votes, there remains an improperly cast vote that the plaintiff could not have challenged on election day. This is where these judges were smart enough to treat them all as individual infractions, right? Even though there were all these different things and the, these people fought it and say, well, we have this and they have this and they have this. The judge is saying, yeah, but you have this one and there's no way to reasonably expect that this plaintiff could have known it because you yourself said you didn't know it till after the election. Therefore, you accepted it and that was an improperly cast vote that you couldn't have known on election day, they couldn't have known on election day. Therefore, one do- with one vote difference in this, folks, you can't call it done, go back to the drawing board. They go on and say the record shows that MFG, and they're just using initials here, illegally voted twice by absentee ballot and in person on election day. Again, they don't, find this out until after the fact. And the county of register couldn't have known it themselves. And that's why you can't let this go uncontested. Well, it is what it is, and we certify it, so you have to live with it. The court is saying, horseshit. That's what's saying. You could not have made this determination. He goes on to say, according to the notion of irregularities, and i got to look that up, notion of irregularities. Let's see what that is. Well, it's basically meaning that uh, something that's not correct or acceptable, an irregularity, meaning, look, it's an elect, it's an irregularity, it's an irregularity, it's an irregularity. That's it. You didn't catch it. You were required to. It goes on to say, according to the notion of irregularities from his precinct, MFG was permitted to vote in person on election day because the voter registration did not show that his absentee ballot had been received. Again. Not the voters' fault, the system's fault. I think that's important. Going on. Later that day, the supplemental list of absentee ballots arrived at the precinct. A commissioner noted MFG's name on the supplemental list and contacted the Office of Registrar Voters to report the issue. An employee of that office told the commissioner she would pull MFG's absentee ballot. However, at trial, evidence showed that MFG absentee ballot was never pulled and instead was counted. Again, it puts the responsibility right on the people that run the elections. Again, not an oops, not a boo-boo. It changed the vote. That's it. It's not an oops. It's not a boo-boo. It changed the vote. This is why all of these infractions, every single ballot, all of these things have to be run down. And as you see, in this case, They ran them all down. And in most of them, they say, well, they count it and we certified it and that's it. No, because you didn't run the election according to the rules. You did not comply with your your own rules that you agreed to do this by. And that's what gave them the ability to run this to ground and said, look, you just didn't do it. And because you just didn't do it, there's no way to know There's no way to know 
what the real vote is. It goes on to say, if election officials were aware of, but unable to prevent MFG's double vote, I do not believe the plaintiff, with exercise of due diligence, could have objected to this irregularity on election day. Here's what he's saying. The, they're saying the county's at fault, and the plaintiff couldn't have known they were at fault, even doing due diligence, because it wasn't discovered till later. Therefore, how can they challenge this on election day, which is the rule? He's saying it can't be challenged before or on election day. It goes on to say the plaintiff's objection in this regard cannot be deemed waived. In other words, they try to say, well, look, he didn't do it before the election. He didn't do it on election day. So you have to throw this out. And the judge is basically going, uh-uh. Not only did he not know and had no way to know, you didn't know yourself. And therefore, even with you not knowing, and you don't have a system put in place to know that, that basically renders it neutral because he couldn't have known. And because he couldn't have known, you're, well, I'm not going to waive his rights. It doesn't matter what's written on the books that way because there is, ready? There is no remedy. See, a law can't be enforced if there's no remedy through enforcement. That's what makes it basically void. You can't get legal relief. There is no remedy because it's not even allowed. You can't even get it. Therefore, judge, I can't get any remedy on this, they ruled. In short, the double vote cast by MFG is an illegality that the plaintiff could not have challenged at the polls. And that makes the result of this election separated by one single vote impossible to determine. I think these words impossible determine impossible to determine are going to live forever. I'll read that one more time. In short, the double vote cast by MFG is an illegality that plaintiff could not have challenged at the polls and that makes the result of this election separated by one single vote impossible to determine. Now think back to Carrie Lake and think to everybody else, how long it even takes them to deal with provisionals and stuff. How can any of these numbers even be considered certified when we have confidential ballots so we don't really know which ones they are and who voted for who? Therefore, it becomes impossible to determine. Your only goal is here. We just want to determine what's right, period. It goes on to say, thus the lower courts correctly declared the results void and ordered a new election as permitted by law. See, this is key. All states have provisions for redoing elections. I've said this to you for years. It has provisions for redoing elections. It's simple. And that's why it's not overturning or decertifying. It is just, we screwed up, let's do it again. 
It goes on to say something that I find very important. And I do believe, I do believe this again will come into play. It says, finally, I note. Okay, finally, I note that in this case, neither candidate is to complain. Finally, I note in this case, neither candidate is to blame. When a court is presented with proven errors, even when no candidate is responsible for those errors, it is compelled to act and uphold our election code. I'm told, I, I told you, I've told you this before. I'm totally fine if nobody goes to jail over the crap in 2020. I just want to get it fixed. And so if they walk scot-free, I don't give a shit. I'd rather fix the rules, the laws, and not have it happen again more than I'd rather see them go to jail and it just keep on fumbling along as it is. And this is key. When a court is presented with proven errors, we're not saying crimes, we're not saying fraud. They already said they're not going to, it's not either candidate to blame or either party. When they're presented with proven errors, even when no candidate is responsible for those errors, it is compelled to act and uphold our election code. Now, here's the big kicker. Even though I've told you all of these in big, they add a note here. A tolerance of deviations from legal requirements could lead to a manipulation of elections and affect the integrity of an election and the sanctity of the ballot. A tolerance of deviations, meaning just let them go, from legal requirements could lead to a manipulation of elections and affect the integrity of an election and the sanctity of a ballot. And in every one of these cases you've seen so far, they have tolerated deviations. So the court gave the remedy, and what is the remedy? In this case, a new election will ensure confidence in the final outcome. And that's why I've always told you we need to make MAGA lava. Let America vote again. Right now, this only affects Louisiana. This is brand new. This is brand new on the books. But now that it is on the books, it is part of case law to point to. It requires a shift and a movement of everybody who has their head in the game. And that is why compliance matters. Procedures matter. And that is why I've said for a very long time, it's just not compliance and it's just maladministration. And during the course of investigating compliance, and investigating for just maladministration, you ran it wrong. Not only can you redo an election, but it is incumbent upon that, that during the search for maladministration, if you find malfeasance, 
to call it out and to get it fixed. And this is the whole point. I appreciate you all. Have a great day. Make sure all the supporters around you that support my work see this. But I think this particular case in Louisiana is an incredible teaching moment. Take care. Bye-bye.